as uh, Brim uh, prayed for us. I mean, there's a lot of bad things we see in the world, but uh, there's beauty as well. And today's vision of Isaiah reflects this beauty that God wants to make alive in our world. It's such a beautiful, wonderful vision. As I was reading scripture, I could sense even you all coming into and feeling what Isaiah is saying about this vision. But somehow, as I was preparing for this sermon, I struggled so much. Probably the most I've ever struggled. I mean, Reverend Kim Grisham, he gives me a month. So for a whole month, I read, I wrote my thoughts, I reflected. So many things to think about, but nothing stuck. I mean, yeah, I can write something, but it wasn't really deeply resonating. And as I thought about this, why am I so stuck? On Friday night, late at night, I finally realized, I think it's because, honestly, I don't think anyone really believes, if you go down to it, anyone really believes that this kind of world is possible anymore. I mean, there's so much that leaves people disillusioned, cynical, and jaded. And when the the pandemic first hit us, there was a lot of hope. Maybe people might change. This is a a wake-up call for us to make our society and our world better. We were all in it together. We wanted to build back better. But what we see around us is often very different. Almost, we can say, the complete opposite of Isaiah's vision. The world we see is not always a joy. Its people are not a delight. There is weeping in so many places. Cries of distress around us. There are many places where infants live but a few days. So many people do not live to old age. Many people build houses only for others to inhabit, plant only for another to eat. I mean, a lot of young people nowadays even say that they don't want to bring children into this world, let alone have them be blessed. The lions of this world do not just lie down with the lambs, rather they devour them. So how can we really believe that the kind of world Isaiah describes is possible. And my struggle was, how could I speak about this without seeming so out of touch with reality? So I started to reflect on the purpose of dreams and visions. Why do people have dreams and visions? What purpose do they fulfill? The closest modern example I could think of was Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech. This photo, it's taken from the March on Washington in 1963. I think over 200,000 people were gathered and uh, the whole nation was affixed to the TV. And I think the whole world probably witnessed this moment. And I started to reflect on what did this speech do? Why is it so famous and popular? The speech, it evoked people's desire for a better world. It articulated people's desire for change and a better world. That's when I realized without this desire for change, 
this speech probably would have been meaningless and just would have passed by. If people are not hungering for change, a speech like that would have no power. This speech had power because it tapped into people's longing for change for a better world. Dreams and visions have power when they connect with a deep desire and hunger for change. So without desire for change, dreams and visions, they have no power. And that's when it really dawned on me. The reason I couldn't come up with any meaningful message from Isaiah's vision is because I feel a crisis of desire. Everywhere I look, I mean, people's flickers of hope for change somehow always seem to get snuffed out. Optimism turns into jaded cynicism. I met so many people once when they were young. They had fire in their eyes. They were passionate. They wanted to do something. But years later, when I look into their eyes, I see that the fire has gone out. It's kind of a, just a blank look on their face. And it's, it's sad. I don't know why, but somehow this world has this power to snuff out our desire for change. It's gone to the point where I feel like so many of our young people don't even have the chance to form that desire in the first place. Even before they can form any desire, it's taken away from them. It's like the parable of the sower who planted seeds and some seeds fell on the path and the birds came and ate them up before the seeds could even make it into the ground. You see, no vision and no real hunger and desire for change. We feel no choice but to simply adapt and get by in this world as it is. Life is so, all of you, all of us, we're so busy just staying afloat in this world as it is. Keeping our head above water in this world as it is. There's no room or space to imagine a world as it should be. John the Baptist was a famous prophet. His role was to prepare the way for Jesus. His role was actually prophesied by Isaiah, whom we read today. A voice cries out, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. In the wilderness, John the Baptist was preparing the people What was this preparation? Well, his main message was repentance. His ministry was a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So the question is, what were they repenting from? What sins were they turning away from? And the crowds came up to John the Baptist and asked him, what then should we do? In reply, he said to them, Whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none, and whoever has food must do likewise. 
Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked him, Teacher, what should we do? He said to them, Collect no more than the amount prescribed for them, for you. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what should we do? He said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation, and be satisfied with your wages. What should we do? That was the question that they had. How do we repent? John the Baptist's response can be summarized in one word. Care. Care about those around you. Care about those in need. Care about those who are vulnerable. Care and act on that care. Their sins caring, turning a blind eye to those in need around them, being numb to the needs of others. Ah, I realize repentance, it's not about becoming some morally upright person, not about being a holy or a pious person. Repentance us for God to do something in our lives. That makes so much sense to me. Caring awakens our hearts. Caring makes you start noticing people around you. In our session meetings, we're always talking about pastoral care how we can really care for our members. And so we're practicing what is going on with our people. How can we care and how can we pray for them? Each of you should know that our elders are praying for you. We're cultivating a leadership of care. That's why we have our monthly pastoral care groups so we can learn to care more for one another. Caring prepares us to follow Jesus. I mean, what is being a Christian? Being a Christian means following Jesus. It means being in a relationship with him. The more you're in a relationship with someone, the more you become shaped by that person. So true for marriage, isn't it? You become shaped in good ways, neurotic ways. I mean, I've been married for about 11 years now with Deb. I mean, before I got married with her, I didn't notice things like dust or crumbs. Totally oblivious to it. But not necessarily to use the word neurotic. I mean, she's not here, right? But <laughs> neurotic, but I mean, she's obsessed with dust and crumbs. She'll see a cr- one crumb from across the room. Like, what are you talking about? But somehow, over the years, when I see crumbs, I reach for the Dyson right away. You know? We become shaped by those we are in relationship with. 
deeper our relationship with Jesus is, we become shaped by him and become more and more like him. And what was Jesus like? Well, the essence of Jesus was care. He cared for people. That was what he did. To be a Christian shaped by Christ is to care. We can say all the right things, display the utmost piety, know all the doctrines about Christ and faith, but if you don't care about people, you are not one who is shaped by Christ. I'm sorry to say that, but that is really what it comes down to. Related to caring, you know what else it means to be in a relationship with Jesus and to follow him? It means to learn how to suffer like he did. If anyone wants to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. What do you think it means to take up your cross? It means to take up the path of suffering. To Jesus, this is the only path to life. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will save it. This is what St. Paul discovered. Once he met Christ, his greatest desire became to be close to Christ and to be like him, even in his suffering. This is what he said, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him. In his death. At our Friday Bible study, we, we reflected a little bit on suffering. And Reverend Kim said that suffering, it's not just some bad incident or event that happens to you. Yes, sure, that can be part of suffering. But it's not merely just bad or hard circumstances in life. Suffering can be much deeper than that. And the suffering that Jesus went through... It was something much deeper in his heart. It was, it was a pain of just seeing people not understanding what he was trying to teach and what he was trying to show about life, about God. He saw their blindness and their numbness and even like uh, intentional opposition to everything he was trying to do and who he was. I mean, he carried this weight of their ignorance in his heart. At one point, he says this, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. He suffered from increasing Isolation and abandonment as people turned against him. Just not even, just being against even what he was trying to do. He was trying to help people. They were turning against him. And ultimately, he suffered from the greatest abandonment of all, abandonment from God when he was on the cross. Jesus' suffering 
stemmed from his care for the world, from his love for the world. He suffered because he loved the world. Many parents can understand this kind of suffering. And the greatest suffering parents experience is when their children suffer. Nothing makes their hearts ache more. They would rather take that suffering upon themselves than see their children suffer. They suffer because of their love. It is a suffering love. Love that suffers is the greatest and highest love one can have. And I think that's why many second generation and others, we get so emotional when we think of our parents because they loved us in such a sacrificial way. Christian spiritual journey is to develop the heart of suffering love that Jesus had. To have a heart that bleeds for the suffering of this world, for the suffering of those around us. To have a love that aches and groans for this world. So I realized the crisis of our modern affluent world in life is the crisis of care. Somehow in the midst of our busy everyday lives, in the midst of just nonstop work and pleasure, we've gotten so numb. I mean, uh, Pastor Dave and I, we reflect a bit, like sometimes, sometimes young people, They don't even notice if you're in the same room as them. You could be there or not. It would make no difference. But it's not only them. We all live this way. That's why at the High Sea Retreat, Pastor Dave did some simple, concrete exercises, uh, such as looking someone in the eye, greeting them with a smile. Simple skills of a human being of caring. Suffering love desires change. Suffering love wants to make things better. Isaiah had this deep desire for change. He was you read all of his, everything he says, it's the longest prophet, 66 chapters. If you read all of it, you can feel how broken up he is by the suffering around him, all the injustice of strong people taking advantage of the weaker, of people just not caring, of people that themselves are so broken by their hard experiences that they've numbed themselves to their own pain, therefore to the pain of others too. Isaiah was deeply wounded and broken in his heart by this. 
was wounded because he had this love and care for his people. But not only that, if I mean, love, you need that. But if that's all you have, sometimes there's still no power to it. A parent who loves their children but seeing them suffering, some, we are powerless sometimes. We can't do anything for them. But what Isaiah also had was faith. He had faith that God would make all things right. He was not blind to his situation around him. He saw how the mighty did whatever they wanted, and the weak, the powerless. But he believed that a greater power, the power of God, was at work. He saw that God was at work even in the midst of his bleak situation see the lord god comes with might and his arm rules for him his reward is with him and his recompense before him like i said he saw the mighty powers of his day the jews they they had no choice but to go along with whatever the powerful countries told them to do but somehow he believed that god would outlast them all he was right. And empires and people that seemed so powerful at that moment in their time, they have come and they've gone. But one thing has remained. This is what he said. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. He was convinced that God would prevail. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there until they have watered the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Isaiah was right. We are still here thousands of years later proclaiming this very word of God. We come here because we believe that God and God's word has power for our life. That it has power to overcome our difficult situations and circumstances. I believe that a small group that gathers every week to study the word of God is more powerful than plans that are crafted by the powerful and rich people of this world. I believe that. That is why we do what we do. Isaiah had faith in God, and he had a suffering love for his people. That is what opened up his eyes and his mind and gave him this vision for the new heavens and Friends, when we learn how to care, when we grow deep in the suffering love that Jesus had, and we believe that God has the power to make things happen, God will give you a new vision, a new dream. And then your vision and dream will be the powerful fuel and engine for your life. Nothing will be able to shake you 
Because you have this vision from God. That is how we need to live life. This one life we have. Not to be so numb and mindless and go along with the day-to-day, but with the vision. Don't worry about the vision itself. That will come. We just need to first learn how to care and come to God and trust Him. Most of the problems of this world, they seem overwhelming, but don't get overwhelmed. That is in God's hands. God is at work, has been at work, and will continue to be at work. Let us let God do that. But what we simply do is come before God and say, Oh Lord, give me a heart that cares. And then help me just to do my part in your work in this world. I believe that you are at work and you will lead us and guide us. God is always doing something new. Isaiah says this, Do not remember the former things or consider the things of old. I am about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. to break open our heart to care and God will give us a new vision for life in this world. Let's sing together.